invite you to open up your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3. It's good to see everyone that we have with us tonight out. It's been a very beautiful day. It hasn't really stopped with the sunshine and I've been experiencing some pleasant weather. And really all of that should just be a constant reminder of the blessings that we have in God and the uh, as, as what David said in Psalm 19, that everything that we see is just a reflection of his glory, a reflection of his beauty. And so we should uh, remember those things, his characteristics, his love for us, the blessings we have in him whenever we get to experience these kinds of things. And frankly, whenever we get to experience the familial tide that we should have with each other. Um, it just, just remind us and point us ultimately to the one who gives us those blessings, the very means to experience those. The, the perfect father, the perfect parent, the perfect, um, the perfect one. So, uh, as I said, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to be picking up there uh, in just a moment. <clears throat> Some time ago, we started a series on what uh, the work of an elder is and what the qualifications or the qualities of an elder is supposed to be. And so, that's what I want to continue doing tonight. We started by looking at, when it came to the qualities, what kind of character an elder is supposed to have. And we looked at a few of those qualities. There's a lot of them, so we kind of taken them by chunks and really uh, putting them under categories. And again, that first bit was under um, the qualities that pertain to his character. Tonight, what I want to do is look at an elder's reputation. And we're not going to be able to, again, to look at every single thing. But as we look at what this means, as we look at what the reputation of an elder is supposed to be, uh, I want to see the qualities uh, that pertain to a reputation, what he is supposed to have and what he is not supposed to have. What are we supposed to view of this man? What are we not supposed to view of this man? And I do think that it's pretty interesting some of the things that God says about this kind of man, the testimony or the reputation that an elder is supposed to have, that a shepherd is supposed to have. And I would just remind us that as we talk about these qualities, these are the qualities that the Holy Spirit says makes a man capable and able and equipped to do the work. If these are not in place, he's not able to do the work. He's not capable of doing the work. He's not equipped to do it. And, and also, as we look at these things, if, if they're not in place, I, I, I meant to say this last time and I wasn't able to get into this very much, but when it comes to a, the character of a man that needs to be there, if you do not have that kind of character, the, the answer is not, well, I guess it's just done for me. What that means is we need to build that kind of character. If we don't have patience, <laughs> the answer is not, I'm just going to stay an impatient person. What we need to be doing is striving to become patient. And I would say that about all of these qualities and as we continue on looking at the reputation of an elder, because ultimately a lot of these qualities have to do with what a Christian should be. We need to understand that these are, are what makes these men elders, what makes these men capable of being shepherds is that these are not things that they are trying to get a hold of. These are things that they have become mature in in their lives. Uh, and so let's just look at a few things when it comes to a shepherd's reputation. And as we begin, we need to look at what can be said about him. What is he? What is his reputation uh, in the positive? And first of all, obviously, we begin with being above reproach. That's the way the New American Standard puts it. In verse 1 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says, It is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, it is a fine work he desires to do. An overseer then must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or, or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God and not a new convert so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil? And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. And again, as we kind of break these down into categories, you may think that some qualities or qualifications could go better in character or reputation or otherwise. That may be. This is just a way to break it down into manageable chunks of information to not just consider, but to be able to digest and think about more clearly. So that way, when the day comes, when we may start thinking about certain individuals who possibly have these characteristics, we can question them about these characteristics. And we can talk to them about what they think about these kind of qualities. And I think that that uh, it, it, this is a good way to help us have that kind of conversation. And so again, we start with above reproach. Your translation may say blameless. In fact, that's the way the New King James puts it, is that he is a man that is blameless. Now, we kind of talked about this in the morning lesson about how Jesus says in Matthew 5 and verse 48 that we are to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Sometimes what people say when they hear something like that is, but no one can be perfect. Yes, you're right that no one can be perfectly sinless like Jesus, but Jesus still said that we need to be perfect as his Father is, that we need to be striving for that kind of perfection. And he's not saying in a self-righteous way. What he's saying is you need to be striving to be such a person that, 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 can, be, uh, that can have some, some of this kind of similarity between our Father, between our God, between our Lord Christ. And so people would look at this kind of, uh, this kind of uh, quality and say, this is just, there's no way that anybody could be this way. Well, again, if what you're saying is uh, above reproach, that means sinless, then of course no one can. But that's not what Paul is saying here. That's not what the Holy Spirit is indicating. What he's ultimately saying is this is someone who is righteous, not just openly sinful. Someone who not just inside but outside the world can say uh, in unison, this is a righteous man. He's not just playing house. He's not just acting the part. He really is all the way around righteous. He is blameless. He is, is irreproachable, not openly rebellious. Uh, and so someone looks at this and may say, that's not possible. That's just an excuse. It really is. In uh, Colossians, uh, or 1 Corinthians, first of all, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in verse 8. <clears throat> I like what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, we'll go ahead and begin in verse 4 to get the context. He says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying there? You need to be, you need to be able to be looked at in this way in the judgment that we are supposed to be presented by Jesus as blameless in that day uh, over in Colossians chapter 1 you see the same kind of language and the same thought Colossians chapter 1 <clears throat> in verse 23 specifically but we'll start in verse 21 it says although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind engaged in evil deeds yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death 
in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, if indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. Now specifically there in verse 22, that same word is used, that we are to be presented holy and blameless. And he uses another phrase there, beyond reproach. And I think that really comes back to what we're talking about here. It is someone who is truly irreproachable, not sinless, but someone who is not walking in rebellion against God, but someone who's walking in fellowship with him. Ultimately, when, when I look at this kind of quality, it should be that when someone hears that, that this man is a, in particular is a shepherd at a congregation, they don't look at him and say, really, that guy? Are you sure about that? Because I know him. And that doesn't really make sense. Now, if that's being said about somebody, chances are he may not be blameless all the way around. And so we need to be careful. He's not someone who is easily accused of the sinfulness of the world, but someone who has put those things away. And, and, and again, I just want to come back to that balance. It does not mean that he's not going to struggle. What it means is his natural state is fighting against those deeds of darkness and not letting the old man take over again. And he does a good job of that. So there is that balance that I think is needed. But not only is he supposed to be above reproach, is he supposed to be blameless, but what he is also is hospitable. This is another quality, not, not just of an elder, but something that is spoken about throughout the New Testament, throughout the Bible, that I think a lot of Christians, I think a lot of people just have a poor mis misunderstanding, uh, a poor understanding of this. And maybe that's a lesson for another time. But this is one of the qualities that is supposed to be not just practiced, but it's supposed to be eminently a part of this man's life. That he, that his wife, that his family, he is hospitable. Now, how would you describe hospitable? If someone asked you to define that word, what immediately are the images that comes up in your brain? I think immediately what tends to happen is we just think in terms of, well, he has someone over every now and then for a meal. I tell you what, there's a few times where I've been invited over for a meal to someone's house. There's a few times that someone has invited me just, just to pay for a meal. And even though they paid for it, even though they cooked the meal, even though they had me over, there's a couple times where I was with the most inhospitable people of all time. Because the entire time I was there, I felt like I was walking on eggshells. Because yes, they opened up their home, but now because of my mere presence, I have now decreased the value of that home. At least that's the way they make it feel. Now, is that person hospitable? They may have had me over, but in, the character is not there. The, 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 uh, the natural ability to extend that kind of hospitality, the natural ability to extend that kind of uh, goodwill, it's just simply not there. It's lacking. And so this is more than just having people over every now and then. This is someone who can have people over and, and, and not just, you know, I, I, the way I've liked to have put it in the past is sometimes when we get on social media, a lot of times what happens is we look at people and we see how they've done themselves up with the makeup and we, we haven't really seen how much time that they've spent just trying to get the perfect picture. Even though it's taken hours, it looks like it's just a natural part of their life. And we get so jealous sometimes. Maybe we get a little angry because why can't my life look that way? Again, we haven't seen how much effort and time they've put into just making it look picture perfect. But that's what social media does. We tend to be very distracted just by the look of things and we forget what goes on in the background. And we forget how easy it is for people to act like everything's okay when really their world is burning around them. And, and the reason I bring that up is because I think that this is a good way of looking at hospitable. An elder is not Instagram hospitable. 
He doesn't just post a picture online making it look like he's, he's got that already down. Everyone may think that, but then in the background, it's really what the family hears is, well, we have to prepare the house because these untouchables are coming in. We have to prepare the meal because these people are just ravenous and they don't appreciate anything. And all week, as we've been preparing to have people over, our family is hearing constantly and time and time again just how much vitriol we have for the people that we're supposed to be showing grace to, that we're supposed to be serving. So that is not hospitable. That is, that's social, that is social media uh, way of looking at things. It's deceptive. And so an elder is not Instagram hospitable. They are instantly hospitable. It's just a natural part of their lives. It's something that is natural for them. They're not forced and they're not, it's not dragged out of them. Over in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, this is probably a very familiar passage to some of you, but in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 9, what Peter says is that we are supposed to be hospitable to one another without complaint. Now again, I think that there's something to be said about the fact that, yes, sometimes we just need to, we have to start somewhere. And maybe it is just we have some poor uh, feelings about the matter. We just need to get this done. But it shouldn't stay that way. An elder is someone who's not just trying to get this done, and it's not asked of them, you need to open up your home more, you need to open up your time. You need to be, it, it, it's, it's, you don't have to ask them. They just want to do this. They are hospitable with their time. They're hospitable with their possessions. They're hospitable with all of the things that they have. Now, with all that being said, when you think about why this is so important, how can a man be very effective in his preaching and teaching of the gospel? How can he be an effective shepherd with the flock, with his flock that he is over and overseeing, if he is unapproachable? If no one can come up to him and ask him a question, if no one can come up to him and expect that there's going to be not immediate anger that they've even approached him, but rather that he's going to have grace. It's not going to be very effective if the man is just constantly making people afraid of coming near him and asking him questions and talking to him. That's why this kind of characteristic is so important. And so he has a reputation of being hospitable, not a reputation of being grudgingly so. So we, we have that he's supposed to be blameless, he's supposed to be hospitable, but he's also supposed to have a good reputation. That's what the New American Standard uh, puts it as. But I rather like the New King James. It says he's supposed to have a good testimony. Now, it, I didn't want to put the New American Standard translation here because as we're talking about an elder's reputation, it'd kind of be, be like when you look at the dictionary and you say, you know, define run. And then it says it is the act of running. Thank you very much. You know, that doesn't really explain anything. But I like the New King James because it says that he has a good testimony. What does that mean? Well, this is, I think, specific to his reputation, not just inside the church, but outside. Over, back over in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 7. I think it's specific in uh, terms of outside of the church. It says he has a good reputation, or he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Certainly what Paul is not saying is it doesn't matter the kind of reputation he has within the assembly. But it's more specific to the fact that his demeanor needs to be universally consistent, whether inside these walls or outside these walls. How many times have you known someone, known a Christian, a brother or sister in Christ that you've been discouraged by because they act the part within these walls, but then when you see them outside, what are they doing? They're cursing. When you see them outside, they're, partake, they're participating in the evil deeds of darkness and you're shocked by that, and you're appalled by that, that's not somebody who would have a good testimony 
outside of the church. Now, they may have a good testimony in, in terms of, oh, this guy acts just like us, but that's not a good testimony, is it? Because he is participating in the same sinfulness as the rest of the world. So not only can he not look like that, not only can he just fall in line with the rest of the world, but he needs to have a good testimony in the fact that he, he, it is confirmed by all that he is a godly man. Now, when you look at this kind of character, this kind of, uh, this kind of quality, I think what we immediately might think is, okay, but the world could very easily look at a man who is righteous, hate him just for that, and there he has a bad testimony. Well, I, that, that doesn't really mean, you know, what we're talking about is someone who's not, who doesn't have a bad reputation because they're sticking to the truth. We're talking about someone who has sullied their reputation specifically because they're being a hypocrite, because they have a double standard, because they are acting like the world. That's what we mean. And so it, this is not a man whose reputation has, you know, taken a hit because he is standing up for the truth when it comes to homosexuality. He's going to be hated by the world. But what that means for me is, how much more do I want this man to be a shepherd? So what Paul, I think, is referring to in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 7 is that when the world looks at him, they don't see a man who acts one way in the building, but a completely different way outside of it. His demeanor universally is the same, and that is in righteousness, in holiness, in his uh, piety towards God and towards his, his life on this earth as a Christian. And so he must have a good testimony to those outside of the church. Well, finally, for what he is, these, these, uh, uh, in the positive for his reputation, we have peaceable. And this kind of goes right in line with the next uh, quality that we're going to talk about of what he's not supposed to be. But when we look at peaceable, I think it's interesting that the New King James puts it in the negative as not quarrelsome. Now, when you think about what peaceable means... I mean, when, when you think about it immediately, it is someone who, at least for me, is not constantly in the middle of issues, not constantly in the middle of fights and arguments and bickerings and complaints. It's someone who wants peace. If you are truly a son of God, as, as, as Jesus would say in the Beatitudes, what are you going to be? You're going to be peacemakers, if you want to look like your father, you need to be like your father in trying to get to reconciliation. And so it, when we look at this kind of man who is peaceable, it can't be said about this man that he is constantly and fundamentally contentious, as the American standard puts it. And I think that's a, a really good way of trying to understand what this word means. Have you ever met someone who is just quarrelsome? Maybe more to the point, you ever met someone that's contentious? I mean, I think every one of us has. I mean, we know what that person looks like. This is someone who's looking for a fight. This is someone who is excited by a fight. And now, I, I think it's, there's something to be said about brethren that have a good um, repertoire when it comes to debating for the truth. But let me tell you something. There has been a lot of damage done by people that didn't care at all about the truth, just cared about debating. There's a brother that has talked to me on a couple occasion, uh, of occasions about a preacher that he knew that he actually had a meal with. And at one point while they were talking, him and his family with this preacher, the man was talking about a debate that he had heard between one brother and, and a false teacher. And what he said, I tell you what, that was just a poor night of debate. I could, have won that, I could have won that whole debate regardless of which side I was on. And what it did to that man who heard that, he said, I don't know if I can trust this man. It's, it sullied his mind towards that man because he's, what he indicated was, I don't really care about what the gospel says. I don't really care about what the standard is. Really, all I care about is I just like to argue. I like to fight with people. You ever met someone like that? 
Have you ever met someone who is in the middle of every single controversy? Have you ever met someone that just likes to stir the pot? Now, frankly, I think a lot of us can shake our heads this way because we're just looking in the mirror, especially growing up. That's what happens with a lot of uh, us teenage boys. As before we grow into adulthood, we really do like to stir the pot, especially if you have siblings. But let me tell you, this man has grown out of that kind of childishness. This man is no longer immature like that. He's not trying to constantly be stirring the pot or in the middle of every controversy. He's trying to end those. He's trying to peacefully end those. Someone who can contend for the faith without being contentious. That's the kind of man we would as an elder. Someone who can fight for truth without just trying to be as inflammatory as possible. Not someone who just loves the fiery debate, but truly loves the truth. That is a man who is peaceable. And so we need to be careful as we look at this kind of a man, and as we look at ourselves, that we are truly peaceable. Not someone who can make peace by shutting everybody up, but we make peace because we love the truth and we share people we share with people that truth. And so that's, one of, uh, that's just a couple things that I think about when you see the word peaceable. And, and frankly, this is all we're going to talk about when it comes to an elder's reputation in the positive, what he is. Now we need to look at what he is not. So what is an elder's reputation in the negative? Well, first of all, it says that he is not to be pugnacious. Now, of course, I know that everyone knows what this word means because it's just such a common vocabulary word. No, I didn't even know what this means, so I had to look it up. But, and so as you look at this word, I think the New King James does a really good job of, of, of uh, putting this, translating this. It says not violent. And I think that this really goes hand in hand with what we were talking about. Someone who is peaceable, someone who is not quarrelsome, they're not violent. They're not pugnacious. This is not someone who deals with issues in an explosive way, but is gentle and peaceable, as we were talking about. And so the reason I think these go hand in hand is because here what you have is the way he responds. When you have not quarrelsome, when you have what he is peaceable, that is the heart. That is describing what he desires. He doesn't want to be contentious. He doesn't want there to be disputes. He wants there to be peace. Now, here we come to how he reacts, how he responds when there is not peace. So not only does he need to desire peace, not only does he need to desire truth and to make peace through the truth, but he needs to be able to respond correctly and appropriately when there is some discord, when there is um, maybe, not, uh, maybe when there is truth that is not fully accepted by the crowd or the audience. He needs to be able to respond appropriately. And, I'm, and this is not just within these walls. It's not just within the local church. It's within every relationship. It's within the family unit. It's how he responds when he's in the world, when he's working with his coworkers, and when he's out with his neighbors. He is not just dealing with issues and he's not just responding in the most, in the most angry and impatient of ways, but he responds gently. And we could go back to some things we talked about as, as, of, with the character of a man who is gentle. But I think we understand what that word means. Gentle is not someone who's just trying to, to offend as, as harshly as possible. That's what happened. I, I come back to what we used to act like when we were children, especially with siblings. When we were slighted even remotely, what we did was immediately res- respond with some kind of insult, some kind of witty remark that is going to put them down even further. It's not what an elder does. Frankly, that's not what a Christian does, but particularly not an elder. He has mastered that. He has put those things aside. And so he is someone 
who is, who is gentle and peaceable in his responses and reactions. So not only should he desire peace, but he needs to be able to attain peace, achieve peace, even in the heat of the moment. And I'll tell you what, I think that's really hard because especially in our culture today, what we have is constantly moments where we are going to be, there's going to be inflammatory speech. There's going to be people that are just trying to insult us. And frankly, there are going to be people that are just trying to make us angry. So that way we slip up. So that way we go too far and say something that really we shouldn't say. That's just wrong for us to say. An elder is someone who is able to rise above that kind of heat. He's not going to allow himself to get to the boiling point. He is just going to make sure that he responds godly, that he responds righteously, that he responds in such a way that shows there is something different about this man. And certainly that's a quality that's, that's, going to, that's something that a man needs to have in place before he can lead uh, uh, rightly and appropriately. And so he cannot be pugnacious. He cannot be violent. He has to be peaceable and gentle. Not only that, but he is not fond of sordid gain. And and this goes along with uh, the last thing that we're going to be talking about. Just like peaceable and and not pugnacious, these last two things go together. Fond of sordid gain and free from the love of money. But this notion of being fond of sordid gain, the New King James just says not greedy for money in Titus chapter 1 and verse 7. Now, why do you think that might be important for a man who is going to be overseeing the work of a local congregation. Can, immediately, is there something that pops up in your mind? A man who is going to be overseeing the work, who's going to be overseeing the flock, is not just going to be looking at the behavior of the Christians in the church, but he is also going to have an, an accountability, the eldership will have an accountability, of how those funds are used that those Christians have brought together. And so, of course, if we are going to have a man that is going to lead in that capacity, he needs to be someone that is not greedy for money. He needs to be somebody that can be trusted with such. But I think it goes beyond that. It's not just that. An elder is someone who is not just holding on to their possessions, holding on to their money, holding on to what they have with dear life. What they, how they use that and how they expend that is liberally towards their brethren. When they give the contribution, it's, it's not grudgingly. When they give the contribution, it's not with a mindset of, I can't believe God wants me to do this. It's how can I give more to God? So it's not just that they're not greedy. It's that they're the furthest thing from greedy. They want to give more to God and they want to give more to their brethren. And so he's not someone, the way that I worded this, he's not easily bribed or corrupted. He shouldn't be bribed whatsoever. What, What I mean by this is, It's not so easy to corrupt him. It's not as easy as it would be maybe for a novice. It's not as easy as it would be for the worldly man. This is someone who can't be bribed, who can't be corrupted. Because they are truly an honest person. And so when it comes to their business dealings, when it comes to everything else, they are honest. They're not going to be uh, tempted, not because, not because they're, you know, they're perfect, as we said earlier, but because they've already, they, they have this temptation uh, they have already put that old man aside and they've put that temptation aside and uh, nailed it to the cross. And they've already, it's not just something that they're working on, but something that they have achieved. Well, I said that this goes in line with the last thing that we're going to be talking about, and that is in the New American Standard, it says free from the love of money. But the New King James puts it as someone who is covetous. An elder is not covetous. Now, kind of like what we said with peaceable 
and not pugnacious. You have the heart of the man and you have the response of man. I think it's the same way with these last two, character, uh, last two characteristics, these last two qualities. When you come to the heart of the matter, it's not just that he, <laughs> he, he won't be bribed and he won't be corrupted because he has that application down, but it comes down to because his heart is in the right place. He's not going to be bribed because he's content with what he has. He's not going to be corrupted because his heart is not covetous. He is happy and glad and joyful in everything that God has given to him. Some, this is someone who has proven themselves as content and confident with all of God's provision and all of the blessing that God has given them and frankly the path that he has for them that they are currently walking. Over in Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. One of the many things that he says at the end of uh, uh, the, the letter here, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Now, sometimes when we get to Hebrews chapter 13, I think sometimes people look at this and say, this seems kind of random. A lot of varying topics that he begins speaking of. You have marriage, you have love for brethren, you have not neglecting to show hospitality, and then you come to verse 5 and he says, what kind of character are you supposed to have? Be free from the love of money. But what, what's the why there? Why can we be free from that? Why can we be content? And he gives the reason at the end of the verse, because God has said, I will never leave you, I will never desert you, I will never forsake you. Why is that important? Because it's the whole reason that a man can be content. That any Christian can be content. Because God has promised that we have him and he will never desert us. And even in our lowest moments, from our highest moments to our lowest moments, from the high hilltops to the valleys, he is with us. And so because of this, a man is content and confident with what God has given him and the path that he has given him to walk. And he's not struggling with that kind of contentment, but rather as Paul speaking to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he has this thing down pat. And I, and I would just say, in addition to that, also think about it like this. Here's a man that will have oversight, not just of the people, as we were talking about a moment ago, but again, over the funds. How can we trust a man who has not been really content with what he has, who has not been truly honest with what he has, and honest in his dealings, maybe in his own business? How can we trust a man who has been a poor steward of what God has entrusted him with already? Because it's not just talking about people that have been very successful financially, but it's talking about what has God entrusted them with now. You don't have to have five talents. It could just be one talent that God has entrusted you with. But guess what? That one talent means a lot to him. And so if a man has abused that one talent, if a man has abused and not treated uh, with the proper respect and not treated with the right kind of consideration... The very things that God has entrusted to him, that could be his family, his spouse, his kids. It could be his relationship with his brethren. This comes down to the heart. Is he covetous about the things his brethren have? Is he content? Or is he content? We need to be careful that we are, that we are looking at, that when we start looking at the, the uh, men who, that we might consider to be elders, that these things are not issues. Not only that they have the positive uh, characteristics of, of what a reputation of an elder is supposed to be, but that these characteristics of what he says should not be there are vacant from their lives. And frankly, it's things that we need to make sure are vacant from our own. 
I, I can't stress enough as we go through each one of these characteristics. Don't think that this has nothing to do with you because that's silly and it's wrong. When, when, when God says that an elder has to be patient, when God says that an elder has to be self-controlled, he says that about Christians as well, even in the same epistle when Paul is writing to Timothy. When, when God says that an elder is supposed to be a good steward of what he has been entrusted, that is true of the individual Christian as well, whether they can ever be an elder or not. Don't think that it has nothing to do with us. What this man is, is a man who has truly, and again, I know that some may bristle at this word, but has perfected this. Like Paul, I'm not saying that he has attained that crown of righteousness yet, but what has he done? He has laid aside the things that are keeping him from that goal, and he is steadily, steadfastly moving forward, knowing that God has made a promise and confident that he is going to attain that promise. Because God will never forsake us. He will never desert us. So don't think that this has nothing to do with us. It has everything to do with us. We need to get to the point where we're not struggling with these things anymore. But what we know about the eldership is that these are men who have these things down. And we need to respect them even more so for that fact. And this is why he would say in Hebrews chapter 13 that we need to look to those men who do lead in a right way. That do lead in an appropriate way so that we can imitate their faith. Look more like them. So do we have that kind, of, that, 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 that kind of life that would exemplify these kind of characteristics? Are there men that have this kind of reputation? Let me say, if we don't think that there are men, if we don't think that we have a good reputation, take this away just from the characteristics you see of the eldership. Maybe we think, I have a poor reputation and there's nothing I can do to change that. I, I would say, read a little bit more in the New Testament and Look at how many people are talked about that had a poor reputation that completely changed their lives. Can you think of one? I can think of one pretty quickly. Paul. Saul of Tarsus. What was his reputation? He persecuted the church. He had killed God's people. He had afflicted Christ himself in doing so. But what happens? He no longer, he doesn't stay Saul of Tarsus who persecuted the church. He becomes the apostle Paul, the bondservant who has the very brand marks of Jesus on him. How beautiful is that? So don't think that if you are a man that would like to serve in that capacity, don't think that I don't have this kind of reputation or maybe I have the poor reputation that we were talking about. There's nothing I can do. There is so much that you can do. Don't use that as an excuse. And once more, as we were talking about a moment ago, just because you may never be able to be an elder, maybe you're just not a man, don't use this as an excuse to say, I don't want to look like this kind, of, this kind of example of faith. We need to be striving to look more like Christ every day, regardless of where we're at, regardless of the position that we have, regardless of the position that we might never have. Are we trying to look more like Christ? Maybe my reputation has looked like Paul. It started off, I am a sinner, I am broken. Maybe I'm a Christian and I have ruined it. There is a path forward for you. Are you willing to do what Paul did? Are you willing to follow after Christ? Are you willing to get to the point where Paul, even though he had such a bad reputation beforehand, he could end up saying, imitate me. Why? Because I imitate Christ. It's not hopeless. There is so much hope for the Christian. There is so much hope for the one who decides that they are going to follow Christ and that they are going to pattern their lives after him, Christian and non-Christian alike. And so the question is, which one are you? 
Are you a Christian that needs to make changes? You can make those changes. It may be that you need the help of the brethren. Talk to your brethren. Use those relationships that God has blessed you with. Don't use it as an excuse to say, I'm too embarrassed. Make things right. If you are not a Christian, you don't have to wait any longer. You can make the changes now. And those changes are, you need to hear what God has to say for you in every respect. All throughout your life, you need to be willing to listen to what he says, be faithful in what he says, and that means repenting of the things that he says has to be cut out of your life. The mindset, the thoughts, the intentions of the heart, the actions. Make a confession based on that belief. Make vows to him that you will be with him till the day of your death and be baptized into his, into his death to be raised in newness of life. You can have that resurrected life this very evening. If you're subject to the invitation of Christ by any means, please come forward as we stand and as we sing.